Hope you brought your Bible with you. If not, look off the Christian next to you that brought theirs. <laughs> the title today is Willing to Sacrifice. 1 Samuel 1, 25. And they slew a bullock and brought the child, Samuel, to Eli. And Hannah said unto Eli, O my Lord, as the soul, thy soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he should be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Father, I am believing, God, on this Mother's Day, Lord, let this somehow, by your Holy Spirit, be a special and a particular message that would affect us all, Lord, in a, in a dynamic way in knowing your love that you have for us and thanking you, God, again and always for my own mother. In Jesus' name I'm praying, amen. Let me paraphrase Hannah that day that she said these words well over 3,000 years ago. I stood by you in prayer. I think that's what moms are good, really good at. They're willing to stand by that child. They're willing to stand and even to take a stand when need be. Thank God for that. I read just recently, and I've always kind of been a student of World War II, and during that awful, awful time of Jewish people being in concentration camps, there was a man by the name of Solomon Rosenberg, who him, his wife, and two children was in a concentration camp. Each day they were separated and had to go into work areas. And what happened like every night, not occasionally, but every night this would happen to where someone would not be strong enough either to come back from work that night or even to go to work that morning. And when they were no longer strong enough, they were never seen from again. The, Jew, the Jewish person would be killed, probably either shot or burned in the ovens. And as they were there for well over a year, and each night, Mr. Rosenberg, as he would come home or come to back to that area where the families met, he would hold his breath, hoping that his whole family was there. And on one occasion, as he came home, he looks to Joshua, one of his sons, and says, Joshua, where is David, your brother? And then he says, where's your mother? And the eldest son tells the story of dad. 
David was just too sick to go to work. And he began crying. And mom stayed with him and held his hand as they walked, was marched off together, never to be seen of again. That mom, willing to sacrifice herself so that her son would not have to die alone. And I think in a nutshell, that's what moms are willing to do. They're willing to make the hard decisions and willing to make that hard and difficult sacrifice. If any of you are basketball fans, you've probably seen this this week, but for those that did not, we're going to take this occasion to show you Kevin Durant's part of his MVP acceptance speech for the NBA. Would you play that, please? One of the best memories I had is when we moved into our, our first apartment. No, no bed, no furniture, and we just all sat in, in the living room and just hugged each other. Because we, that's what we, we thought we made it. And when, you, when something good happens to you, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to look back to what brought me here. And you wake me up in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up a hill, making me do push-ups, screaming at me from the sideline of my games at eight or nine years old. We wasn't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street, put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You the real MVP. Yeah, moms, they're the real MVP. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. 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 They're the real MVP. Samuel's mother, thousands of years ago, set in motion the miracle that would be the prophet Samuel. How that man would help shape an entire nation and to move them toward God, the nation of Israel. Motherhood is a ministry. That is true. Let me give you a scripture that I really love. Deuteronomy 32. As an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters over her young, spreads her wings, takes them and bears them on her wings. That's what moms do. Moms don't want their children to settle. Moms want their children to soar. And if you would see, and probably maybe many of you have on National Geographic or you've looked it up online, to where it would show a mother eagle as she is doing exactly what this scripture says, that Moses writes what eagles do. To where they break up the nest because the nest was made out of thorns. And then after that, it was made out of, of maybe a rabbit's fur around there, and leaves, and everything soft to make it just a wonderful place for those little eaglets to be. 
But then when they get bigger and older and it's time for them to leave the nest and to soar and not settle, what does that mother eagle begin to do? She begins breaking up the nest. She gets rid of those leaves. She gets rid of that rabbit fur that lines that nest. And now when baby eaglet is going to just clock back and rest instead of that rabbit's fur, now it's a prickly thorn bush and it's, ow. <laughs> and it's not as comfortable as it once was being in that nest, being at home. So it's time to soar. So she puts the little bird, the little eaglets on her wings, one on one side. And she takes them up higher and higher and higher. And as those birds are there sitting on her wings and they're, they're getting higher and thousands of feet, as they are, there those little eaglets are sitting side by side, whispering at each other, saying, Mom's so great. Mom's right. We need to get out of the nest more often. Look at what we can see. This is wonderful. And mom raised up higher and higher and higher. And it gets to thousands and thousands of feet above the ground. And then all of a sudden, without any warning, mom goes, whoop. <laughs> and those little eaglets are falling and they're falling and they're falling and falling. And mom, just with, with ease and grace, she takes her time as she lowers herself down and with speed and finesse and grace. And she reaches down and she swoops up one little eaglet on her, on her arm or on her wing and, and she flies down and she eventually right before they hit the ground she picks up the other eaglet upon her, her wings and she flies up to the heights again. And one little baby eaglet looks at the other one and says, what's wrong with mom? <laughs> and does this over and over and over again until those little eaglets feel that air under their wings and then they too can fly just as gracefully as mom can fly. My mom was the cook, the teacher, the preacher, the doctor, the judge, the jury, and the executioner at our house. At my house, it wasn't wait till your dad gets home. Oh, no. She took that on herself. She wasn't waiting. To this day, never fails. I'm in Walmart, and I walk out of Walmart in wonderment and amazement, thinking it was never like that at my house, where you see kids screaming and back-talking mom and dad and running away from their mom, and like that never happened at my house. No. The running didn't happen until she took her hand and grabbed you around the wrist. Then the running started. As either a belt or a switch or the old-timey fly swatters with the, not the plastic, but the metal thing that left really weird-shaped whelps on your legs. 
So much so that when you was in eighth, somebody told me this, honey, that when you was an eighth grader in school, that you went to the basketball games and you took your pants down to put your basketball shorts on and people's looking at your legs saying, Mark, or not Mark, somebody probably, Mark, <laughs> what's those marks on your legs? And you say, because while well, you're as big as your mom is and you don't want anybody thinking that your mom's whooping you, and you say, I don't know, I'm breaking out. <laughs> Breaking out with something. And if she would whip, and I would just be in a big circle, and I'm as big, as tall as she is, and she's not going to make me cry. It's not going to happen this time. It's happened a hundred other times, but this time, she's not going to make me cry. <laughs> and then she'd go whip, 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 and then it was done. Because that's what she was wanting. It was her will against mine, and she was going to win. And the whole time I'm getting the whipping, my brother, Greg, is over in the corner, just cowered down in fear and just a pool of tears, crying his eyes out while I'm getting a whipping. <laughs> and mom would say, Gregory, get over here. And he's already, just <laughs> and she grabbed me and goes, and it was over with. <laughs> and I never did learn that lesson if I'd have just cried sooner. <laughs> I learned the love of God first from my mom. I learned the chastisement of God from my mom. And listen, people, the whole time that she's got me around the wrist and we're doing this Keen's torture dance. <laughs> the whole time I'm running and it's just going in and around in this radius and she's got this belt, it's just the perfect amount of space for everything to work just right for her. If I would have went like this, if I'd have went right in, instead of running, if I'd have turned right around and just hugged mom, then she would have been doing this. <laughs> and it wouldn't have hurt at all. So when you've done wrong, instead of running, you get real close to God, and God's going to chastise you, but it ain't going to hurt near as bad. It won't hurt near as bad. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says that Lois and Eunice prepared Timothy to be a servant of the Lord. Lois, his mom, Eunice, his grandma. And they prepared Timothy. They knew something great was coming down the pike for this young man. And they had prepared him. Along comes a missionary by the name of Paul. And he takes Timothy under his wing, so to speak, and he becomes the mentor for Timothy. And Great things happened because of a mother and grandmother shaping a young man by the name of Timothy to where he could preach the gospel and carry the gospel message. If you are here today and you work with young people in this church, if you are a kid's church worker, I want you to stand. If you work in the nurseries, I want you to stand. If you work at kids' camp, I want you to stand. If you work at Sunday school, I want you to stand. 
Now, everybody else, take a look around to those who are standing and give them a big round of applause. Thank you very much. Ada Take was her name. She lived around the uh, 1700, 1740, 1750. They ran her line and seen that she had 600 descendants, 100 children born out of wedlock, 181 were prostitutes, 120 were convicted criminals. And what was found out about Ada Take was all that Ada Take ever done in her life was she was willing to take. Never willing to give. Never willing to help. Only willing to take. And that's not the definition of a mom at all. The first time I heard that God loved me, I readily accepted that because I had seen the love of God and I'd seen what love was like in my mom. The first time I understood and heard that God would chastise you and take you to the woodshed, I understood that immensely. I understood that because of my mom. Jeremiah 31, God has loved me with an everlasting love. At creation, God began the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the oceans. God didn't start loving me then. He had already begun loving me. Every mom here, you know that before your child was ever born, you was already loving that child. You was already preparing that room. You was already painting those walls. God loved me before I was ever even born. Thank God. Listen to the book of Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That is, is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus that loved us. He continues on. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor things present, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we could ask Jonah if being in the belly of a whale separated him from the love of God, his answer would be no. If we could ask Simon Peter if cursing and denying Jesus would separate him from the love of God, his answer would be no. If we could ask King David if his sin with Bathsheba could separate him from the love of God, his answer would be no. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you with ink the ocean fill, and were the sky of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the whole contain the scroll, O stretch from sky to sky. You know something else about my mom? I was thinking about things yesterday, things that she liked, things that she didn't like. Something that, and I've tried to remember, I never heard my mom complain and mope around. 
That's amazing. I never heard one time my mom say about how tired she was. I knew teenagers got tired. I didn't know moms got tired. And today I rise up and I call her blessed. Something else, I, mom never enjoyed getting her picture taken. And to this day, neither do I. I just don't. I found something, if, oh, I've had this, I had Kay to copy this off four months ago. I knew I'd use it at some point. High school students, this is from uh, Dr. Keith Abloh. High school students from across Nassau and Suffolk counties in New York have been posting explicit photos of themselves, sometimes naked, sometimes drunk, sometimes touching each other intimately on a Twitter feed. Now called, and then I'm not even going to tell what the, what the, it's called. One now infamous girl appears in a photograph urinating in a sink while wearing a happy birthday tiara. Welcome to young America. It's no longer news that narcissism, that you love yourself, which is stoked by the internet, can dissolve anything left of the modesty of American teenagers. Now, this is what jumped out at me. Who already fancy themselves worthy of posting hundreds, no, thousands of photographs of themselves on Facebook and having their egos pumped up by equally deluded followers, quote unquote, on Twitter. It is no longer news that sex has become the ready antidote to feelings of depression and boredom. What may be news, however, is that parents of such teenagers would need a reminder of how to respond when their sons and daughters circulate photographs of themselves drunk or passed out in various stages of undress. Here's what the parents of all young people who feed these inappropriate images of themselves on the internet should do. Confiscate their phones, shut down their Twitter and Facebook accounts, test them randomly for drugs and alcohol every two or three weeks for the next year. Each positive test should result in being grounded for one month. And I know I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I know I am. But guess what? I don't care. I don't care. Call me what you will. Call me what you want. I don't really care. My brother... My brother Greg was in, and he shared this with me about a year ago, was in Stateville Prison, and he phoned my mom. Greg, you could tell this a lot better than I could. Won't you come and tell it? You could tell this better than I can. Come on. Give me a microphone. Here's an old adage that I kind of live by. It's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission. So I didn't ask him about this. So forgive me, brother. Tell that story. Right. You can tell it good. All right. Uh, I was in prison for quite some time, and, and I'd called my mom many times 
while I was in prison. Lord help me with this. But uh, a lot of times we would cry together on the phone. And uh, a lot of times in the background I could hear my daughter saying, is that my daddy? And she would say yes, which of course I'd have to talk to her. And then mom had my autistic son and my daughter Jaden raising them. She literally rescued them. But uh, on June 28th, after my youngest son was born, I was thinking, well, you know, I'd do this state time and, and come home and do right. And uh, nine days after Cameron was born, I got federally indicted, and the first uh, federal agent I met with, he said, you've been doing this a long time. He said, we're going to see that you get 20-plus years. Then I started thinking about, you know, if I'd ever see my kids again. So I was at a level four institution, Hillsboro, Illinois. And uh, next day they come and handcuffed me and took me to the segregation, which they call the hole. But I asked them why, and they said, well, you're going to level one because you're facing 10 to life in prison. So 17 days later, I woke up, and uh, they put the cuffs on me and took me to Stateville, which you're on constant lockdown there. And uh, you get to use the phone once every three days, and they'd bring the phone by your cell. So uh, I called mom, and she was almost always home because she had my autistic son, which she, you know, she wasn't able to leave much. And uh, I called her, and I said a few words, and, and I broke down. And a lot of times before, she had cried with me, you know, but this time it was different. She said, Gregory Jean, and she always said that when she's getting ready to tell me off or chew me out, you know. She said, you're going to have to toughen up. And she said, you're going to have to toughen up starting today. And I can hear Jaden in the background going, is that my daddy? <laughs> and uh, But she told me that, and, and you know, it really... It, it actually uh, got me through, you know, because after that, you know, I s told her, I said, I don't know if I'll, how many years I'm going to get. She said, she said, it don't matter. She said, we raised you to handle whatever to come before you. And after that, you know, I was okay. She helped me make it through through that. And eight months before before I was released, she fell dead. But I love her. Like Greg said, they brought this phone around to your cell. He said as he was crying there at 
and anybody's familiar with Stateville, um, there's people up there serving two and three life sentences. If they kill somebody else while they're up there, what's that going to be, another life sentence? First time me and Kay went and visited Greg up there, he looked across the table from me and he said, Mark, there's no hope in here. But as Greg cried as he's talking to mom, mom told him to toughen up. When he hung up the phone, his cellmate was watching the whole thing, and he looked at him and says, you really disappointed me, Shell, crying like that. <laughs> How many knows who John Newton is? He wrote a famous song, Amazing Grace. John Newton said the last time he ever saw his mom, she was washing clothes. And he didn't, she didn't know that he was standing there and she was washing clothes and she was praying. And she is praying, oh God, save my son John. Oh God, save my son John. And I've run out of time. I don't have time to tell the whole thing. Most of you have known this from hearing me preach it before. But he was the owner and the operator of the slave ship that brought Kunta Kinte to America. He was called, referred to as that wicked man. But through a course of events that only God could orchestrate, John Newton was born again. John Newton, upon taking a clear stance for Jesus, he helped a young man who was born again as well by the name of Thomas Scott. And Thomas Scott won thousands of people to Jesus. And Thomas Scott befriended a newfound believer in Jesus by the name of William Cowper. And William Cowper would go to write these famous words. There is a fountain filled with blood. Sing that with me. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. All of that can be traced back of those men being born again and thousands of people whose names we don't even know can be traced back to one mom. Oh, God, save my son, John. That's what moms do. Moms stand beside you praying. And for those whose moms are still living, I implore you, if you can't talk to her right now, today, face to face, call her up and tell her what her life has meant to you. It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.